And I'm glad you're on, Chris. I, I got, um, looking into your background, you have an absolutely phenomenal story. For anyone who doesn't know, and let's assume people don't, I mean, reading the bio on you, it's, 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 it's the stuff that, like, movies are made of. Uh, <laughs> maybe it will happen someday. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I've had a, a very interesting life scope that, uh, Definitely, if you, well, I, I've got an autobiography about it, but uh, if you read it, you'll be like, this is nuts. This, like, should be a movie. It's, it's pretty wild, so. Uh, but it's given me a lot of experiences, so I, 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 it's a good thing. Let's take them back. So for people listening, because I love a good story, and I love yeah. a good, it's, it's, to say it's inspirational, to say the least, but growing up, so where were you born and where were you raised? So I was uh, born in Northern California, uh, not too far north of San Francisco, kind of wine country area, and essentially for the most part grew up homeless in the mountains. And we're talking, you know, people, you know, think about being low income today, but we're we're talking, you know, foraging for different types of mushrooms, killing animals, living in tents, uh, heating up your water with. Uh, you know, from the stream and a jug in the in the sun. You know, sometimes we would strap uh, poles into the trees because all the rattlesnakes, and we'd have to raise our bedding up there. And so I grew up kind of in that environment with three sisters and a brother. And so in the in the book, there's there's some pretty wild stories. I mean, we dealt with murders, a serial killer, uh, human trafficking lots of drug running, all sorts of shit going down in uh, some of these areas. At the time, this was kind of the weed growing, where we were at was the the weed growing capital of the world when this sort of stuff was uh, not really legal anywhere. And so there was, a, there was a, a lot of interesting figures. And so I ended up putting myself through, well, we spent some time in foster care and things like that as well, got back with the family reverted kind of back to the same stuff, but up in Oregon, uh, living in the woods, camping out, being homeless, maybe having some, you know, condemned homes to live in. But I, I, I ended up being really successful in both sports and athletics, uh, earned myself a full ride scholarship, uh, academic to go to school where I worked on a dual engineering degree. Over the course of that, things got worse at home. This is the uh, this is the very short version, right? Yeah. I, so so, so I ended up taking custody of my three younger sisters. Yeah. Ra raising them, I was working full time when I went to school too, because I didn't really have there. There's no 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 fallback plan for me. There's no one to call home to if I can't uh, can't come up with money, you know. So I I in addition to going to school full time, I was working full time, and so started raising my sisters. Uh, did continue to do that through the course of while I worked on getting my master's in business administration while I was working on advancing my career. I worked, uh, had a pretty successful career for about 18 years in the industrial sector where I, I moved to the point the last 10 years I was being hired to come in and do turnarounds for companies. So change their culture, change their finances, change their operations, get them maybe prepped for sale. Uh, advance somebody from like a, a regional presence to a, a national or international uh, f for their company. 
So I was doing that sort of work. On the side, I've always been an athlete. So I started training in 1988, 89, somewhere in there. Back then, it was just ankle weights and push-ups and uh, jump squats and things till failure because that's all I had. You know, was living by candlelight. But I was—that's what I did. Yeah. And started getting more official in high school when I had access to a gym. And it's been a—it's been a cornerstone of mine. So in the, I ended up building my own gym somewhere around the early 2000s, and around 2010, it moved into a commercial space of actually it was probably before then. Uh, that I had 4,000 square feet and, you know, 100 members or something. And that was on the side at the time I was doing a turnaround of an aerospace company. And I was really dissatisfied with the equipment, the methodology, but I was trying to create a space so I could be the best in the world at what I do. And so I was a competitive power lifter from 2000 till 2016. So in 2015, I walked away from my career, my job, and founded Kabuki Strength because I, I really felt that I had something that was a calling for me to chase. And there's there's a little bit more feedback into that story I'll, I'll go into. But so I founded Kabuki Strength. I actually retired from powerlifting right around that time too, since so 2016, and started ch chasing exhibition lifting and fundraisers is kind of what I do now. And then, uh, yeah, so that's that's where I'm at. So now, I guess I'm an entrepreneur because I, I have four different businesses. So I've got a <laughs> best-selling book, uh, working on a few projects and things. So, and it, it's crazy. Like, at Kabuki Strength, in four years, we went from a one-person company making stuff on, you know, my in my machine shop, in my, in, in my garage, to... You know, we've got 20,000 square feet here, 20 employees, and we're working with essentially like 90% of the top MLB teams. We are in Toronto. Blue Jays are great customers of ours. Uh, you guys just lost your head strength coach. You went over to the Yankees, but they're good customers of ours. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, we work with everybody. We work with the NFL and NBA, Olympic Training Center with the throwing athletes, uh, NHL. We're we're like all over the globe within a matter of a few years, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, so so that's kind of where we're sitting today. But that wasn't random. Like while I owned the gym, I was <clears throat> I was chasing kind of some issues going on with my body, and ended up kind of developing relationship with a number of some of the top researchers and clinicians in the world, and ended up started speaking with them, creating material with them. So a lot of my work is in some different clinical. Uh, PhD courses. Actually, I just got another book yesterday. That's a, uh, a really great uh, lecture piece or a, a tech clinical textbook um, in regards to back issues and my products and stuff are in there. I'm like, that's pretty freaking cool. So, uh, but that's where like Kabuki came from. Is <clears throat> I'm trying to give the shortest uh, shortest version possible here, but was you know evolving these methodologies that were a little bit more clinical based of what I was learning because I was doing a lot of uh, continuing education in that field because I didn't want to go all the way back to ground zero I've spent a lot of time in the classroom Fair. and uh, so I wasn't really ready to, to go back and become a doctor but I started doing continuing ed on that side and that's where I started building these relationships and then starting to expand the knowledge and learning some different philosophies and things that were not really employed in the strength training world 
and then spent years kind of putting that together in my head, practicing with people until we had really this fundamental system of how we believed people should move under load, how we should loading parameters. And I'm, I'm definitely an output of that, what we've seen with my lifting. And that is where the equipment side of the company came from. So we have a very, very distinct view of our company, which is we're education first and the products. That's why the stuff that we create is so vastly different than what we see out there is because we don't look at, at the market and go, what can we make and sell? We look at the market and go, what's missing based on our beliefs and how people should be moving. Yeah. What are the gaps with the equipment? What are the gaps with methodology? And that's where we come in. And that's why we see things that we do is very different. And that's why we've been picked up by professional and collegiate sports all over because we get their athletes more resilient, more stronger while reducing their injury risk or their injury, the risk for injury potential. And so that's uh, that's a cornerstone of who we are. So it's a really interesting company. We do free education, paid education, seminars all over the place, coaching and equipment. But if you understand like why that is, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. They, they kind of lead hand in hand, all those mixed together. It's a it, package, it, you know, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we don't just make something because we can sell it. We People come with us to ideas like that all the time. We're like, that doesn't really fit us. Like, that's just a, a thing. Like, somebody else can do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, yeah, you, you gave, you covered a lot of ground there. I got to back up for a second because I know because it's your life and you lived it, it just feels like, yeah, so this happened and that happened. But for, <laughs> any, right? but for anyone listening, off the hop, when you said grassroots where you started at, my friend, I it, it's I'm just blown away that in a place like America, like how how abnormal is it to have a family in the wilderness living off the land? Like, did you run into anybody else? Did you have neighbors like that out there? Were you secluded? Socialization? Like, this is a phenomenal story, Chris. I, I can't wrap my head around <laughs> it, right? Ugh. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. That's why I said there's interesting characters because other people that are out in the wilderness hiding from the world are usually doing it for a reason. So that's yeah. why I said that's where some of these other things. So, so yeah, we'd run into somebody, you know, that was uh, camping out, been out there for a few decades. And next thing you know, it turns out, well, that's because he murdered somebody with a tire iron Holy for $20. Shit. And uh, he's hiding from the police. And now we got to try to find a road into a, a ride into town, yeah. hop out and, uh, yeah, and and turn them in because one can't have that around the family, you know, it's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> there was a time my sister, we were living, this is the time, this is, a, this is a good story. I just actually did a reading on it at Powell's Books the other day, but uh, I was six years old and I was being taught how to catch, handle, and kill live rattlesnakes. Jesus. And, and uh, well, it wasn't random, it's like we lived next to rattlesnake dens and running around you've got to be you got to be safe you got to learn how to do this so here i am six years old like in the practice of you know i've got a live rattlesnake in my hand that could kill anybody yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and i'm i'm staring it in the face you know and it's it's mouths opening up and you're looking at it and you're like feeling it you know that cold skin like wrap around your arm and, <laughs> so, and, and, and you just like the fear did you feel fear or 
were you almost indifferent at this point? Like you, well, it's different. Like I, I, that's where I learned to manage fear. Right. So it made me, if, if I could control my fear, I was relatively safer. If I had a plan of action, here's the steps that I need to do. Stay calm versus being irrationally fear, you know, having irrational fear, you're going to, you're going to die. Yeah. If you are reckless and don't have any fear at all, you're going to die. Yeah. Right. So it's a matter of like, fear is a good thing. Fear is a good signal and it drives us. And a lot of people take that signal the wrong way and do the wrong thing with that, with that signal. That signal of fear in life is not necessarily a bad thing. And it's something that we should, that we should seek out. Like if you get like some huge opportunity coming your way or this project or whatever it is, and there's no sense of like fear along with it, that means it's really not offering you anything for potential growth. It's not pushing your boundaries, your limits or anything like that. Mm. So, you know, think about, uh, you know, the first time, how, how old are you? I'm, I'm 40. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, think about when you're in your 20s and, you know, you, 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 met, uh, you met your partner or your first significant partner, right? And you're like, wow, I'm, I'm excited. I really want to get to know this person. But at the same time, you got this mixture of anxiety and fear about it. Like, holy yeah. shit, that changed my life. Like, I've been doing it. It's that, it's that feeling. Like, but you're going to grow as an output of this. You're going to change. These are the things that we need to like seek in life. That's so those are some of the lessons that I learned uh, in that process. It, it's true that like, obviously like fear will heighten your awareness and senses and make you present and focus like, like nothing up. Like when you literally have a rattlesnake in your hand, your mind's not on an argument you had with your sister. Your mind's yeah. not on school the next day or you're present. You're sharp. You're focused. Your task at hand. And I know what you mean where only good, like a strong dose of fear is going to bring you to that kind of presence and you have to elevate your game. Well, it's just like the, it, as humans, we adapt to stress. That's the only driver that actually allows us to grow. And we know this when, because we, we go to the gym. Why do we go to the gym? Yeah. It's stressful to pick up a weight and the body adapts by getting stronger and you become this stronger, better version of yourself then you started five years ago, uh, if you started lifting five years ago. But, and what happens if we stop going to the gym? Get weak. You get soft yeah. and weak, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, the same thing, if we don't apply those stresses mentally and emotionally, but same process, you can't just go, I'm going to do seven hours of CrossFit seven days a week. Like, you've got to have the, your restorative periods. You're going to die if you do that at some yeah. point, you know. That's You're going to a fiery death. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but so same thing, you can't just be burning the candle on both ends all the time, but the same thing, like you've got to be challenging yourself in those other areas. So you got to seek those things that actually scare you a little bit because that tells you that's putting me outside of my comfort zone. That means it's challenging me. That means because the same thing, if you don't challenge yourself mentally or, or emotionally, you're going to get soft. You're going to get weak. You're not going to respond to challenge and stress well. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, life is short, man. I think the older you get, the more you realize this, that it's just floating by. In terms of how much time you have, if you don't, if you just stay in your comfort zone and don't get out of the pocket and try, you, you, you end up too old, too quick, 
And you're just like, why did I play it safe? Why? Because I like you're avoiding those stressors. It's easy. Exactly. Your, your knee-jerk reaction is when you're scared is to back away. But your that's, growth is that, on that side. That's the wrong way to go. Exactly. So as humans, we try to find comfort. Yes. But same thing. If you find that comfortable spot on the couch and pull up your bag of Cheez-Its every night. Yeah. It's not going to be the best choice actually for you. In the moment, it feels great. Yeah. But the impact on your life, not so. You're going to be moving backwards, right? Do you, do so, you, do you feel like because you were where you started um, helped you rise? At, like you couldn't stay there. You weren't comfortable. You had to hustle to get out of there. Do you think that helped drive? Like if you were raised in middle America you had the couch, the cheesies in your hand, and you were good. And you were probably going to be good no matter what. Do you think that was a major driving force for you? I, I think it was, but it doesn't mean that you have to have that life to – because, again, it's all purposeful. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's your, it's your decisions and your actions that define yourself. So, yes, this allowed me to find and develop the life philosophy that I have. And the philosophy that I kind of walk people through in the book and how to how to find introspection, how to really find your values as a human being so that you can actually establish goals and have, you know, a laser like vision with your life and in executing those and realizing the life that you that you truly want, not what's thrown at us. Oh, this is what you need. So it definitely short you know shortcut the the process of learning that for me right having that scope of my life really really helped me get there but it's not something that you have to have people are like mm-hmm. oh that must be why you lift crazy things and do all well yeah it is but you don't have to have that yeah because at the end of the day it's all what are we deciding to do right now it's almost like all of us have a choice and can do it you were in a situation where you're like i gotta make them i gotta make an adjustment and you found out, oh, I can, it doesn't matter where I start, I could shoot right to the top. And you found that out. And you realize other people might be too comfortable and not willing to, even though they could, and they'll stay in the comfort zone. That's kind of like why you're doing what you're doing, to tell people, hey, look, it's yep. not because of the way my background that I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I had to get out of that situation to hustle hard. You yep. can do it too. It's just, you're too damn comfortable. You're avoiding stresses. You don't have to all the time. And you're missing out on, on true potential. You don't, a lot of people don't know their upper limits. And their they don't. They don't. And so that's what I try to articulate both with like my feats of strength as well as, as my book when I cover more of the, the mental and emotional and philosophical sides of this is how far you can move the needle if you truly want to. Mm. And I think that's what... You know, those stories, I, I, I didn't write it in the book to try to impress people or, oh, I had it so rough. It's, but it is a great story to show people just how far you can move that needle if you truly want to. How do you think it came to you? Like, coming from where you're at, look, I know kids. Everyone knows those kids in school. They come from families. They didn't have a lot of money. Came to school in clothes that other kids, like, they didn't have the cool kid clothes. They didn't have, they weren't on the in-click. Um, you know, you're raised in a neighborhood. Some people oh, yeah. neighbors. It kind of ties back to you asked about socialization and stuff like that. Yeah. I was definitely late to the game there. There wasn't a... I bet. Well, I, I bet. You had bigger things in your mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was that was definitely something that I had a lot of anxiety around, or maybe not anxiety, but definitely 
uncomfortable with for a long time, going even going into high school. I didn't have as much interaction. And when I did, like my clothes were really out of date. They were dirty. They were my shoe, my feet were sticking out the side of my shoes. Like I was the kid that everybody picked on and laughed at. Like that was, you know, that I, I was the, I was the butt of jokes. And so, you know, I'd sit on the playground in the corner by myself. I spoke to no one and, and yeah, I had some, you know, probably some, some, well, uh, <laughs> I have ongoing depression issues and things like that, but that's part of, uh, uh, my makeup. But, uh, the, uh, so going into high school still, you know, I was, I was that quiet kid. Right. And now I'm known, you know, I, I speak internationally. I, you know, people look to me, they'd never guess, like if they see me present, see me in groups, they'd never guess who, what my background was. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I specifically chose that. Like I, I was working, going to college and I was working on an engineering degree. Great job for uh, someone that's an introvert, right? Yeah. Sit at the computer, not really talk to anybody all day. And uh, I got this job in a, in a window company. And it was doing basically, it was a, a leadership management position as, a, as an intern. And the guy that was supposed to be training me got another job. He left. And there I am running a third of a mill with, you know, 40 employees, average. I mean, there's guys that have been on the job for 40 years. Yeah. And here I am at 20 years old, you know, trying to, trying to, trying to run the crew, and, right? And you're, and, and if you and, don't have confidence, that's fucking nerve wracking. A conversation's and, and, tough. And, and, and I, I chose, I said, at that time I said, I'm not finishing my second engineering degree. I'm going after either management or business. Oh, wow. I chose to go in a career that was what I felt hardest suited for me. Yeah. Within two years, I was running a third of the plant. I had three managers reporting to me, 100 people working, working under me. And continued to go, grow from there. So left there to move to Portland to pursue my MBA. Uh, I, I still left. I still regret that. I was only 11 credits shy of finishing my second engineering degree. Yeah. <laughs> but well, yeah. you can always go I, back. <laughs> but like, how did how did you? What do you think? Because but first, first thing you know, I'm 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 like I'm a sought after leader in the in in, in the Northwest. Like I'm recruited people. You know, I don't have to go try to find and apply for a job. Like some recruiter gets paid close to a hundred grand for getting me scored to go work for some company. Yeah. Like because of my leadership skills. And yet I was socialized way later than everybody else. But I specifically choose chose to chase that area. And guess what? That that, that wasn't comfortable. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, it's just in terms of um and you probably deal with this in your book, but when you're doing it almost on your own and sorting this out, how did you, how did that transformation happen? Like, did you sit down and be like, here are some of the skills I'm going to start applying. And you just like, how did that switch turn for a lot of people? They probably listening and seeing this probably have themselves in that situation where they, they also identify as introverts. So they, they get anxiety when they, when taking on a lot of projects or speaking in front of a lot of people, have people answer to them. What was it that was like, all right, on my own, I got to figure this out. Was there a few key things you told yourself, here's what's going to change now, and I'm reinventing me, and this is the new me. And because I believe it, it is. 
Uh, that's that's actually a little bit more of the second. So the first part of the book, the book is titled The Eagle and the Dragon. Yeah. And the eagle is, and it, it's titled that, these are two tattoos I have. Each one took about 40 hours, so okay. they're, they're pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, uh, the eagles are on my body, and they're trying to take flight, and they're shackled to my ankle. And that, to me, represented, I had this done around 20 years old. And that represented being able to, you could fly to whatever heights that you wanted in life. The only thing holding you back at the end of the day was yourself. Mm. So it was really a discovery process of discovering what your strengths are. And also that identification of, I'm not defined by my circumstances. I'm not defined by my environment. I'm not defined by what's happened to me. And you'll see this all the time. People like, Hey, who are you, you know, asking about their self and they're like, I'm the guy with the bad back. I'm the guy with uh, abusive parents. I'm the person with alcoholic parents and I'm this way because, 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 right? That is not who you are. Those are things that have happened to you. Your, the definition of who you are is your responses, your actions and decisions as a result of that. And so that's what the first half of the book, but the question you're asking is actually the second half of the book. The dragon. So I've got this Ouroboros. I had this done in my late 30s when I basically changed everything. I got remarried, walked away from my career, quit powerlifting. Like every major aspect of my life, I changed. So the Ouroboros is a dragon eating its own tail. Sounds kind of uh, macabre, but like it is the purposeful reinvention of oneself, the continual renewal of life making yourself new again. So for me, I, I, I call that deciding specifically who you want to become in this world. It's a very purposeful and becoming that person, making the decisions and actions to become that person that you want to be and leaving that impact on the world that you want to leave. So it's a little less of like just reaching and discovering what your potential is, which is that first first half of the book. The second half is really understanding. So from there, you, you can't you can't just randomly decide this is what I'm good at or these other things. Like you really have to have the introspection into into yourself to be able to. And I drive people, I walk kind of walk through a process in the book with this, is <clears throat> discovering what you truly value. So in the book I use like a couple examples. One of them is a fancy car and a house, okay? There's a lot of different reasons that people could want a fancy car and a house. There's no morality around it. Mm. So one person may want it because they like collecting things. Another person may want it because they love like showing off. They wanna have the recognition of whatever. Another person may want it because they value security and they know once they've reached that spot that they have this mansion in, a, in fancy cars they definitely have been successful and will have security to provide for themselves and their family. But now if I don't understand your values, let's use that last example, and we focus on the goals or yeah. the wants, you could over leverage yourself because all you know is I want this mansion and I want this fancy car. Now you've over leveraged yourself and you've actually reduced your value of trying to find security for your family or yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, so that's where the, that's where really understanding what do I value? What do I really want out of life? What do I, what environment do I want surrounding me? What are these, like what? And so it's really starting from values because I hate like bucket lists. Like I need to pick 50 things. Well, it's 50 random fucking things like that are like you pick, oh, that's cute. I'm going to throw, I'm going to pick that. Oh, there's a, I see so many people do this all the time. They randomly pick these goals out of life. Like they see something and it's like, oh, that's cool. I'm gonna go do that. Well, well how does that fit into this bigger picture of the things that you truly value in life? Mm-hmm. So for me, security is is a big deal. Uh, recognition is a big deal. I like I like being recognized for the work that I do. Bigger than that, though, for me, is the sense of accomplishment, like knowing that I that I that I have made significant change. So those are just a couple values, right? So once you start framing like what your values are, now you can <clears throat> you can start going, okay, what are some goals in my life that will help me realize that? Oh, hey, if I squat a thousand pounds for a triple for and, a, and deadlift a thousand pounds for a triple, what does that do? Uh, that's a pretty big challenge. I love challenges. I love accomplishment, okay? Is there gonna get some recognition for that? Probably, and I'll feel good about that, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it ties into other things. Other things for me is being creative. I got to have a creative outlet. You can probably see that with like Kabuki. Yeah. That's also why I enjoy the feats of strength too. It's like the creativity of creating these these things, This that output of that, right? And how do we get there? How do we create the process of pulling off this phenomenal thing that nobody's really figured out how to do before? So, um, so once you understand like what those values are, you can really start framing and guiding your life in that direction. People miss that. They all just jump to the things that they want and don't understand why do I want those? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why do I want those? Because there's always a reason. You just got to keep digging deeper with your whys. Why? Ask yourself if it's other outside influences that tell you a, a big house and a car means you made it. Do you honestly need that? Do you honestly... Yeah. Value that, or or is that's the other thing. That's the other thing. It's like it, it, we're we're told in this world that uh, individualism is great, and then you, every commercial, every social media, everywhere you're at, there's commercials thrown at you saying, "Buy this, yeah, buy Consume. this. It's going to make you different. Yeah, it's going to make you. But uh, it, it's not. You're the same as everybody else. Yeah, and they can't tell you. They don't know who you are. Yeah. Most people don't know who they are themselves, let alone have somebody else. So it's this, it's a really shallow, curated form of individualism is what we live in today. And so being able to really step outside of that is, it, it, because that's what's, that's, that's what's catered to us. It's, it's, it's interesting. So I went to school for marketing and um, pretty much- uh, By the way, I, I use the mansion and fancy car reference uh, because that's what all of our uh, motivation porn guys use. Like, you, it's okay to want this stuff. It's okay, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but why should someone want it? It's yeah. fine to want it. Yeah. But you can't just say, this is what you want. And, and if you get it, you're successful. Well, well, why? Like, that may not be success for everybody. And this is, in marketing, so they said, um, if you're selling wine, for instance, it's, it's, it's an alcoholic drink, nothing more. But you give it, um, you describe it with traits. You would describe a person saying it's elegant, it's classy, it's sophisticated. It's it's a fucking alcoholic drink. I'm telling you, it's classy. 
I'm telling you it's expensive and not everybody can get it. So when you get it and you drink it and you buy it, you think now you're classy, you're elegant, you're part of an exclusive club that you made it. And that's just marketing. In the reality of it, I'm trying to convince people why they want this bottle of wine, why you're going to pay $300,000 more than this other wine. When reality, like you said, why do you really want it? Are you trying to establish yourself as being, you know, part of this exclusive club or have these traits that, you know, these human traits, a wine doesn't give that to you. How you carry yeah. yourself makes you classy. How you carry yourself makes you a leader, et cetera. You wear all the clothes of a guy who's a leader, but you develop these skills over a lifetime. Um, something you had mentioned that I thought was very interesting. So you, you've reached all the success. And then around as a middle-aged man, how scary was it when you decided, I am changing my life, walking away from, like you had major life changes there. Um, yeah, and, and trust me, I was... I was paid well for doing what I did. Like, <laughs> so, so walking away from that, like it took a while. Like I, I thought about this for, for quite some time before making the move, but it just got to the point of once I knew what I wanted to do, there really wasn't another choice. Like I knew by this point I had the knowledge base and the way to like help people, to help people like change their lives. Mm. When you get somebody that's, you know, living in pain and you're, you're able to, you know, t teach them that they have ownership of it and allow them to be able to just remove that and get back to the, the, the physical culture that they've got in life. Like these are huge things. Could be a grandmother that's not even interested in weights, like the ability to pick up their, their, their newborn grandkid that they couldn't do before. Like mm -hmm. this is, this is rewarding stuff when you do that. And for me, that was the thing in my career that I found that I really valued was my ability to help people go beyond what they thought they were normally capable of. So in a leadership role, I would challenge people and I would do things that help change their life. Usually it was by scaring them with, <laughs> with some of these challenges and things I brought to them. Yeah. But, uh, that was a part of how I got engagement and brought dramatic change to businesses was really, it was all around the people. It's not some rah, rah speech that you give somebody. It's not some fancy business process. Everything in life is delivered through relationships. And so it was the investment that I gave in the people that, that I worked with that brought about the change in their lives. And so yeah, coaching, mentorship, leadership, these are things. And but I wanted to take it a step further on the physical side as well, because I had now had these tools and ability to really deliver something bigger uh, to the world. And so but that is also the impetus why I wrote the book this last year, because everything I'm doing is the physical nature. And I really wanted to be able to share these other philosophies and concepts to help people. And it's been absolutely fantastic reading the reviews and emails and things that I get that it literally has changed people's lives. So, so that's, that's really freaking cool because that's like, that's one of the, the, the most important things for me. The other is parenting. Mm. So it sounds, it sounds silly, but it's not. We find so many today people that live like this helicopter parent lifestyle and they subjugate their own life 
for their children's life. My children are the most important, so I'm going to do everything for them and, you know, put my life on hold so that I can just be there for them. And I'm like, well, what's that going to teach them? That's going to teach them to never live their own life either. Yeah, it's a cycle. So, so exactly. I'm like, do you really want that for your kids? So for me is, you know, not, I'm, I'm very engaged as a parent, so I'm not saying, you know, not be involved, but like chase the shit that you want. Like, like teach your kids like what they can do, that they can actually change and create and mold the world to their will. If they go out like, and you could, I wrote a book about it. You could write a book about it. You could tell all the stories you want, but nothing teaches better than your own actions and actually physically showing them. And they don't get a lot of it now. You know, my oldest is 11, they're 11, seven and, uh, and two. So they're not the age that we're really able to, to really capture this yet, but like, I'm walking the walk and living by example what I hope that they can learn and do in their own lifetime. Mm -hmm. And if I continue to just pound away, and this is what I saw with the people that weren't engaged in their work, that I try to, that I would bring change. Like when you're more engaged in one aspect, you're more engaged in others. You know, that person that's unhappy or just like coasting through or has got that comforted job, they go home and they're not engaged with their family the same. They're waiting for the weekend where they're just going to chill out and hang with their buds. You know, like it, 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 it's like, you know, let's level up across the board. And, you know, by having passion, if you have passion in your life for what you're doing, I think you're going to end up finding that passion in all those other areas too. And so it's about living and chasing a legacy for my kids so that they can, they can have seen their father do the same thing. It is, I know you mean, because the number one influence, the number one, what kids look up to is going to be their parents first. Outside influence is second. You pick up from your mannerisms to your work ethics, to how you treat, to how you interact with people. I mean, sometimes you're not always how you're raised and you could, you could, you know, be yeah. your own person, but nine times out of 10, it's a major influence. Nonetheless, it can either be an obstacle to overcome for some children or it can be a major driving force and a plus to help speed up the process and drop them off in a winning seat already. And they're watching. So you're 100% right. When, if you're just, you're not, when they see you pursuing goals and they see how you pursue goals, how you're priority managing, it you're soaking in through osmosis, whether or not they fully understand now or not. It's those small, innate little skills they're picking up and they're rounded. And they believe too. Yeah. When you're, how is a kid, how is somebody going to tell your kids this is impossible, that's not possible when they're raised in the environment they're raised in? It's harder to, to, to yep. discourage them. They're like, nah, I don't know about that. That's not how I was raised to think. But if you're raised in an environment where you're constantly put down and you're told this is your limits and this is your structure, no one from this neighborhood ever goes on to be you know, CEO or leading companies. No one from this neighborhood, you're lucky if you end up graduating high school. It's a lot. We've seen it. You know, it's oh, a lot I know. Of like a lot of the people like grew up with my family, whatever. They're dead. They're in prison. They're drug addicts. Mm -hmm. Like this is that, that is most of the people that were in the environment that I was in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Give it myself and my sisters who I raised to get out of that environment and tried to demonstrate same thing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's difficult. Um, I think I, 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 this is going back a little ways. Were you, you, you wrestled. Was it high school or college? 
uh, high school. I was close to wrestling college, but I, I got the full right. I had, they actually called me up. Oregon State's like one of the best wrestling schools around. They called me up and they're like, where are you at? You're supposed to be at practice. I'm like, oh yeah. Well, there's this other school that gave me a full ride scholarship. Yeah. So wrestling's great and all, but yeah, yeah. I've got life ahead of me. Exactly. And it's kind of a big deal. So yeah. you made the right choice. When you were wrestling, was it, am I making this up that your first season, your record something your record was horrendous and then the next season like tell me real quick because i love yeah. i love stories like that so yeah my first season i lost 25 matches in a row that's right in wrestling that's... terminology they call you a fish you just flop around on the mat right yeah and at the end of the season end of the season very end i won two matches barely yeah so next I, season you keep coming season, out though. how do you keep coming out 25 in a row it like talk about dogged determination and never say die attitude. You just like, we're like, and, and this is in high school when people are, you don't have friends to help you out, make you feel good about yourself. You don't have like the support you would think. And you just keep showing up in spite of it all, every day hitting practice, going out to tournaments. Like how, how do you keep yourself together in that when nobody's got your back? You know, I, that is uh, something that I definitely learned from my mother. Like she had a rough life, you know, going through a lot of it was self-imposed. She chose the life that she, uh, so we weren't homeless by, you know, her not having education, her not being smart or work ethic. She did not want to be a part of society. And that choice made life very hard for her. And her determination <clears throat> to take care of us and keep pushing through no matter what, like was always there. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, I credit that with, you know, a huge influence on myself and those same qualities that we, that you can see. So yeah, my second, second, uh, second year I came back, I won 25 matches and lost two before districts. My fourth year I came in and I went completely all the way through districts. By the way, there was, I think, three, two or three people that had already beat me in the season. It was a pretty tough class that I was in. I had not a single person score an offensive point on me all the way through districts. Nobody could even score on me. Went all the way through state to the final match without a single person scoring an offensive point on me. And then I got kind of cocky and wanted to show people up in the final match. I was going against the three-time state champion. Yeah. And into the first round, I realized I was... I was way better than him, and I I lost the match. <laughs> really? Why do you? Think oh that, yeah. Why do you think yeah. that is? Um, I I made a. Uh, I heard they were talking trash about me. Some of the other coaches about you know when when I would lose because I was going against this three time state champion. So I really wanted to make a statement. Yeah. And so I made this decision in the second round. Uh, they they flipped the coin. And you get, and it was my decision. My four years, I always deferred, so that would allow me the third round. I'm like, nope, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose up right now. I'm gonna or choose the down position right now. I'm not gonna defer because I'm gonna stand up, turn around, and beat him the second round to make a point. Yeah. And uh, so I chose down. We were heavy guys. Uh, we wrestled in the 174 pound class, so there's not a lot of people to do what what's called leg rides. And he jumped on top and put a leg right in, which I don't normally defend against because it's just 
flatten me out, turn me over and pin me. And yeah. I was just crushing them up to that point. And I was just like, I was so, yeah. It's almost yeah. another lesson in terms of like, stay humble, stay in the pocket. Don't get ahead exactly. of yourself. You know, it's a life, one of those life lessons. Yeah. What's well, funny though. Here's the thing. So, uh, I don't know if you know, but, uh, I, I know a lot of the, the, or knew a lot of the, the, the MMA guys that were famous for a while. Like Chael Sonnen, Matt yeah, Lindley, yeah. the whole group of guys. So this guy actually trained with all them back in the 90s. They were all friends in the circuit. Uh, and they were all there standing there watching that match. And, you know, some 20 years later, me and Chael Sonnen get to be friends. And he's like, that was you? He's like, we're all like, who the fuck is this guy coming out of nowhere? I'm like... What the hell? Like, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I was working him up for good, and so yeah, he was he was in that same group of people that grew into the, all these uh, MMA stars, uh, you know. So that I, was that was inter- that was interesting, though. I seen Chael had left a quote about your book, and um, here's here's another. So, and he had, obviously is a massive star now in terms of his MMA analyst. I mean, his podcast, his videos. Yep. It, it's Chael Sonnen, for God's sake. Um, it's funny how like someone like that, they you don't know people's background. You don't know he, he's watching you in the finals. He has no idea. You know people say like you don't you might underestimate how how much discipline, how what people have been through. You just see them walk out, whether stepping into the boardroom, stepping onto the wrestling mat, stepping into whatever, the gym. You don't know their background. You don't know what they've been through. You think you're gonna test them, you don't know what life has taken them on their journey or where they're going to end up. You know, that's a, like your, your, yeah. you, even within the wrestling. So, you know, they the old expression sports don't necessarily build character, but they reveal it. Yes. That's a pretty accurate statement. Were you, you were in a situation yeah. where you didn't have a lot of friends. You didn't have a lot of backing. You didn't have a lot of support through high school. And, but you were looking for an avenue to display, look, I got heart. I got the termination. And through just nothing more than work, and I can only lean on myself. I hit that madam by myself, and that's yeah. fine by me. Because when I go, when I hit the, when I hit lunch, and nobody's hanging out with me, I'm by myself. But look what I look when I decide. You know what? Fuck this. Wrestling's my thing. Let's see what happens. I get it. I lost twenty five in a row. I get it. I'm an underdog. You guys rolled me up. I get it. Let's see what happens. And then almost like after that happens, you start being like, it's almost a coming of age. Or wow, I can. You start believing in yourself. Like, I, I made a push. Yeah. I made a push alone. No one believed in me. I just did it myself. And you got guys like Kale Sonnen who are like, holy smokes. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's a bit of a, a coming of age story there. Um, yeah. How did you end up finding weightlifting then? Like, how old were you? When did that come to pass? So, yeah, I was, well, I mean, I, I was always physically active. We were living in the woods. We were mining. We were chopping uh, doing firewood, lumber, you know, I, I was always, always working very physical and seventh or eighth grade, you know, I was, as a nerdy kid in school, you know, I was the guy nobody talked to. And I'm like, I should lift weights, you know, balance out like, uh, but I was still pretty physically confident in myself, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the jock. I wasn't the, that person. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started lifting weights. Like I said, it it was at first it was just like ankle weights that I found at Goodwill, and I was doing push-ups until I couldn't couldn't move anymore, air squats until I couldn't move anymore. Like that was 
that's what I did. And then I started mowing people's lawns and stuff like that so that I could save up a few dollars and buy some equipment off of, uh, we had the nickel ads. So I bought these cheap equipment with like the concrete weights yeah. with the plastic liners and the, ho the hollow, the hollow bars. Yeah. And when you tighten the clamp on, they'd like sink into the bar. Yeah. But that's yeah. what I, and I threw it, uh, by that time we had, a this, uh, mobile home, uh, when I was going to high school and I threw all that on the back porch of the mobile home and I'd just be out there training, doing my thing. And during the winter, I moved it into my, my little room stuffed in there as tight as I could. And I picked up gym class and yeah. started, you know, I was just like, that's, that was just, just part, I, I loved it. And, you know, definitely builds, you know, confidence when you're that person. The next thing you know, though, you're like close to the strongest guy in high school. Like nobody will, nobody will mess with it's you. It's different. It's yeah, different. Yeah, it, it's right? different. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's like, oh, those guys are on the starting line for the football. Who fucking cares? Like, you yeah. know, like, so it's, it, it was really big for my self-esteem. And sports is actually the first opening that I had to really start interacting with a lot more people and engaging. So I was in track and field. I did cross country to prep for, for wrestling. So, which was pretty funny. I was the, the largest person, I think, in the state. Probably one of the slowest, too. But <laughs> it's a, <laughs> that's, most, of the, most of the girls on our team outran me. That's, uh, it wasn't, that's not the feel-good story. It's the wrestling that was, right? It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> It's not the but, story of a cross-country runner. <laughs> no. But uh, with between wrestling and track and field, like, you know, I got to be known in the, in the school for, for that, that sort of thing. And, yeah, that was, that was powerful for me. I, I ended up not training for a couple years in college just because I, I pushed myself a little too hard and was a little broken on, in a few areas. And just getting my, getting my grounding with that new life, you know, because I had to – I had to start working, rent a house, and go yeah. to school full time, figuring out that whole gig. And uh, so there was a break around 90, I think I trained my first year. I think I didn't train in 1996. Mm. Then I got back into it before uh, before I graduated, started training pretty heavy, and kept, uh, kept at it from then on. It's, it's funny, like sports, and there's another good thing about sports where you might have been an outsider for a while in high school. Once you start lifting weights, A, you get bigger, bigger stronger, and, and guys respect you, give you a little more room. Girls are starting to look in your way because you, you know, you're bigger, stronger, more muscular, whatnot. And then when you start getting into sports, there's, there is that camaraderie where- you, Exactly. She didn't know you ahead of time. When you're sweating and grinding on the mat, hitting the weight training together, and you, you have to dig deep together side by side. You go through it. And when you go to a tournament and you're on the sidelines cheering for him, and he's tired, he looks back, he sees you. You're on the mats. Bonds get created. You've been there together. You know, and it's, it's sports will do. If there's ever an outside kids, for people who don't value sports and are like, ah, it's a distraction. Nah. No. It's, no. No. No, it's it not. It is not. No. Yeah, I agree 100%. It, it can mold yep. you. It can teach you so it, many skills. Yep. No, that's and it's been a it's been a huge cornerstone of my life ever since for for those reasons. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's why outside I, of a outside of a, a year maybe year and a half break, you know, it's been I've been training for over thirty years now. So don't see that stopping anytime soon. That's what like when they have communities and they drop like a 
uh, a center in the middle of a and uh, you know community with a lot of poverty and it's like here's a center there's a weight room not great weights there's a basketball court yeah it, it, it's just on concrete it does mean something it's something mm-hmm. for that kid who's like look at i go home i don't like my home environment after school my neighborhood's not great but if you have a community center a couple people running some pickup games man you you got no idea how much a little can go a long way for teaching these little bit of skills you know yeah it's uh yeah it's it's and it shows and it empowers individuals like it did you where it's like look at if i put in i could get out and it shows exactly. like hard work there's so many lessons that people can learn from the gym or learn from life and apply to the gym it's back and forth and we see people just miss it all the time yeah you know like yeah yeah, you have numerical values attached to that you can see yourself getting better. I want to talk a little bit about um, your new goals and what you're hunting yep. for right now. And how, look, at not everybody's got, everyone can wrap their head around like a thousand pounds. That's, you that's know what I mean? I grand, that's why I picked grand goals that's four it. years ago. I didn't say all, what, what it was then because I don't like talking out my, like throwing, I'm not a proponent of throwing these big, massive goals out there. I actually don't like talking about my goals in advance, but when it's so close to reality, that's why I I announced this like this last month, because people are going to figure out that I'm going more for more than a thousand pound squat, like pretty quick. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) And and, and when you pick the thousand here, not everybody in life like wants to squat a thousand pounds, but almost every single person you're going to talk to has something in front of them that seems too big and, and and they can't wrap their head around and it's very, and so watch, when someone like you comes around and says, here's a goal, I'm throwing it out there and you chop it up like that, that's where people can draw inspiration. How do you get from there, the, the, the you know, mentally visualizing and setting your goal, setting your path to do it and attaining it. Um, but having said that, when you throw it out there like that, do you feel, oh wow, now everybody knows there's pressure you know, it's all part of it, obviously. That's what makes it so intriguing. Yeah, the reason I, I – so I used to go dark before my meets. I wouldn't even tell people, like, that I was doing a meet just because I I got so frustrated that people – it wasn't their goal. They'd be like, what are you opening with? What's your goals? What records are you going to break? What like, That's none of your business. That's my goal. Like, I don't owe you a response for this stuff. So I kind of got in the habit of that, but with this is – because it's, it really is truly for me, but there is a, a part that I'm trying to, to show with it as well, right? And so uh, the so let me just start with what the grand goals is. So yes. I established this four years ago. I posted a YouTube video, said, hey, I'm retiring from powerlifting. Here's my reasons why. And this is what I'm gonna go for, which I just at the time said, grand goals it's a thousand pound deadlift well fairly quickly people realized i was going for more because they were like well you're strong enough to do a thousand right now why aren't you doing it (laughs) and and i kept training and i kept training without responding and then and then uh i did an exhibition at uh uh it was uh the apa world competition i did an exhibition lift where i deadlifted a thousand pounds or thousand and one for almost a triple so this was so this is like three years ago now because it was a almost a year training process for that, and then the rest of the time now I've done some other feats of strength in between. They're all kind of related to the same thing, which is 
building axial load tolerance, the ability to maintain spinal position with a load, you know, going from top to bottom through the body, right? Mm. Squats, deadlifts, goes on, you could list a bunch of lifts, right? But the goal has been to do, to be the first person in history to have done a thousand pounds for reps for both the deadlift and the squat. Nobody's done it. There's been a few people that have doubled a thousand pound squat, but none of them have even come close to a thousand pound deadlift. There's been six, uh, five or six other people. I own the Guinness world record for the sumo deadlift, but there's like five strong men that have done a, a thousand plus pound conventional deadlift. Eddie Hall being the most famous with his 1100. Mm. But again, nobody's done it for reps yet. So I'm the only person that's ever repped it, but some of them probably could, but they couldn't rep a thousand pound squat. So this is why I think it's such a really great goal is a lot of people have, you know, lever links, torso links, whatever that make one of those lifts like really better than the other. Uh, and they, they're just not as good. You know, you can have an elite level deadlifter deadlifting a thousand pounds and maybe not squatting 700. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so that's why I thought it was really cool. Plus, it also ties in with a big cornerstone of our education, which is globally, spinal mechanics have the largest impact uh, on the body. So as far as joint output, angles, everything, everybody can jump to like knee issues, shoulder issues, hip issues, but you can't really look at those unless you've addressed spinal mechanics first. So the ability to stabilize and maintain spinal position is like our number one priority. Well, what demonstrates that more than a squat and a deadlift, right? Fair. So it really ties to like me walking the walk of what we preach, which to me is really important. Like I, I, I believe I, I really get frustrated with people in our field that are doing research, promoting education, doing all this stuff. And you look at them and you're like, dude, do you, do you even lift? <laughs> like, I, I, yeah. like I, I can't, it doesn't even doesn't even look like you do like CrossFit. I don't know. Yeah. Zumba, I, I, why are you telling me? Why are you telling me this stuff? Yeah, yeah. So, but it's not about just being a meathead either. It's a balance of this too. Like you have to learn through actually doing as well. Mm-hmm. You can read as much research as you want, but at the end of the day, until you actually get out there and see how you respond, there's both in the process. There, there's need to be a need to be a smart meathead. You know, one hundred percent. There is. A huge difference between theory and practical in almost everything. I get yep. theory sometimes is amazing. When you hit the practical, it doesn't it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't react the same. The variables pop up. They're like, oh, wow, didn't expect that to happen. You see that in all fields. That's why I know what you mean where you can't just be a guy who's an all researcher when it comes to something that's sports specific like this. You got to get yep. in there. But you also can't be the guy that goes, just get out of the way and move it. Yeah, if it worked for me, it can work for you. Yeah, exactly. There's more to yeah. it. There's a, there's yeah. a nice, healthy balance, uh, for sure. So, and, and that brings up another point. Like, when I walk through these really crazy feats, like squatting 800 pounds every day or deadlifting close to 900 pounds every single day or the ones that I'm working on right now, there's a big learning component. We tie this back to values. Lifelong learning is really valuable to me. And I learned so much in, like, these really, really – critical periods of time in the training process that would take me years to learn because there's like, you have to figure a way out. Like I've got a problem right now. I'm not recovering. Like, but I've got to go do something freaking crazy this week or tomorrow. (laughs) So I have no option 
but to do this and figure it out now. And it just, it forces you to stretch and to learn in the process like you never would before. So there's another component of why I like this sort of stuff. So yeah, right now I'm in the final stages of training for the thousand pound squat for reps, which I hope to do for three reps, maybe more, but three reps is the goal. So one, because a couple people have done it for a double, so I definitely have to beat them, right? Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Fair. In, in, in doing so, um, how is it, is there, so what's the date, how do people watch it, um, et cetera? Yeah, so it's gonna be on March 19th in San Diego at the, uh, uh, the Ursa show, that's I-H-R-S-A. So it's the largest equipment show in the industry. So my, my company's gonna be there with a booth. We're gonna have it all set up. So it's also uh, uh, an opportunity to bring people into the booth and get sure. some uh, traffic sure. around. We'll have new product release. There, 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 there's a few things tied to this approach, right? I, yeah, so, the hardest so that's the business side of it, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> because we don't have to hire somebody. I can just go do that. So. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like a great venue. It's going to be massively traffic. Uh, they're going to announce it when we get there. So we'll have a huge crowd. And uh, so that's where it's going to be at. Uh, we're in the middle of actually filming a, well, we aren't. There's a another company that's filming a documentary uh, on this process. So that probably movie won't be released until next year, I'm guessing, or the very end of this year but you should expect to see that on streaming services and stuff like that. So um, the day of, I'm not sure if we're gonna have it live broad. I don't, I don't know those details. My media team does all that sort of stuff, so I have no clue. But I'm sure you'll see stuff pop up on social media yeah. right after, on my social media right after it happens. So, or it's on live on our social media channels, whatever. Yeah, Instagram so, live, like, That's when it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can't make it to San Diego, you will see it online. Good, so. good, yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of, because something like this, um, I know you're doing uh, basically press tours, doing podcasts, etc. cetera, and it, it does twofold. It for sure lets people know what you're trying to achieve and it builds the hype and excitement for it. And, and we're a little ways out now, but the closer you get, how do you deal mentally? And I got no doubt, like, especially with all the stories you told me, you're mentally tough. But how do you deal with pressure and, and pressure of doing this when, when the hype just gets fever and fever pitch the closer you get to it? Well, it, it's actually not, uh, it's not that hard for me because the hard part is actually what I'm doing right now. So being in the middle of the training, the training leading up, like when I did the 1,000-pound uh, deadlift for reps, First question I got was, oh my God, how hard was that? What, how tough was that on your body? And the answer is, it was freaking easy. You're like, what? I'm like, well, did you look at the training I had to do to develop to that? Because yeah. I'm not some 400 pound guy that can just go out and do a few lifts here and there and then walk in and go, I'm gonna go for it. Like, I'm way smaller. How big, so are, big, you? Guy. How big are you? How big are you? I'm 5'11", 280. Okay. So I'm a fairly big guy, but not by the standards of anybody else that's moving the weight that I do. Yeah. Like these are, these guys have 140 pounds on me, right? Mm -hmm. So, but the, so the training that I have to do is just so mentally and emotionally taxing right now. It's hard to get motivated and get in and pull it off and let alone the recovery during the week. So like, for example, here's my, here's what my last squat session looked like. So after warmups, 
My first working set is 916 pounds. Oh, wow. So last warm-up's 850. Jump to 916. Do it for a double. Next up, 965 pounds for a double. 982 pounds for a double. Drop that down to 943 pounds for another double. That's eight repetitions at a 952-pound average load. Mm. Nobody has experience doing this kind of volume at that intensity. So in the last two months, I've deadlifted over 400 or squatted over 400 kilo 71 times. It, it, it is. Like a... this is like, 71 reps with that. Like nobody has experience doing it. Like, so that's what I mean. Like right now, like when it gets to the event, like walking in and doing just one set is not as scary and intimidating as the work is that I have to do every week right now. Is it possible to possibly overtrain and leave your best in the gym due to like sometimes powerlifters do that where you, you train so hard because you want to put your best foot forward and you can maybe leave your best in the gym because the hard part with yourself is because no one else has done this kind of thing, you don't have a lot of measuring sticks to look back. Whereas powerlifting, working up to a single lift, everybody in their mother has all these templates and all these, like a, a bunch of samples to mm -hmm. break from. There's really no sample to look at with what you're doing. It's like, I don't know, Chris, you kind of got to figure it out on your own right now. So you're somewhat flying blind. You have a destination and you want to get there, but you're driving in the map, the map you're almost writing as you go, as you get to the next city, yeah. you look back and fill out the map and you're like, Jesus, I hope we end up in California where it's nice and sunny because I hope I don't run my truck into, by the time I get there, the truck's broken down. My nervous system's fried. Like, do, do you worry about that? Like the timing of it? Um... Not, uh, not too particularly because, you know, we have enough experience managing these variables and there's ways that we look at things that is a, gives us a lot more data. And I use the word we, because I'm working in concert with my coaching team. Mm. So I've got one that's monitoring my movement. He's lasering my body, like my, my, uh, my torso position, my thoracic position, spinal rotation. We're guiding soft tissue that way. We're watching what's happening every week on there. One of my other coaches manages the training plan. And so he's looking at how I'm responding uh, and he's writing the plan for me every week. And, but yeah, it's not planned out from here till the meet. Like right now it's every week by week. We're looking, we know where we want to be going. Yeah. We've managed this, this training process started last March, by the way, the very specific one. It's four years long in total, but the driving into this started specifically started last March. And so there's a lot of blocks to that. So we're doing periodization based on qualities that we want to develop, exercise selection, things of that nature, tailoring it down. Now all I'm doing is squatting, but it's really like the last training block, we were doing triples. And I was able to actually get, keep making progress a lot farther than we thought I was going to be able to. So the block ended up being extended because, hey, if we're rolling with it, and we're making progress, let's keep going. Make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> right, and so now, now we started seeing a dip and then we adjusted to this next block. This block's gonna be a little bit shorter. We also monitor a lot of other variables. The biggest one being the velocity of the bar. 
So if we know the velocity of the bar, there's some tools. If you, uh, if you or your audience uh, Googles auto regulation book of methods, you'll find uh, papers and presentations on this that we put together, as well as downloadable tools if you're interested in VBT as well. Um, the articles that goes well beyond covers more than just VBT. So we're covering subject, subjective measures as well, such as RPE, reps and reserve, all that sort of stuff. But we're monitoring all those to see, looking at those inputs to manage, to make sure that I don't end up in that overtrained state. But I'm definitely overreaching right now. Right. Like I, I'm, I'm really fatigued right now, physically, mentally, emotionally. Like it's, I'm reaching that point. I've got like another two weeks. We'll have, I think, a, a, a little mini deload, and then it'll be the the final block. But the the auto regulation with the VBT actually tells me specifically where I'm at every day. So imagine knowing what your periodization you're going off of some perceived like goal percentage uh, of your like here's my max is 500 pounds. You're and I hope it's gonna be 10% over that at the end of the training cycle. Mm -hmm. Well, that 500 pounds may have been from six months ago. You may have been peaked for it. You may, other things may have happened. With velocity, we actually essentially know what my daily max is. And so if we're planning 90% work at you know, a certain number of reps, I'm gonna be doing that work at 90% of whatever my, my, my I'm capable of that day. If I didn't sleep well for a few days because the kids were sick, it's going to affect that. So the numbers are going to come down. So it's all based on we're managing the, that really tightly. Um, it's a little less when we're very specific, like I want to hit a thousand pounds for a triple, not just what's my maximum squat possible. So let's manage a little bit more, a little less with auto regulation and a little bit more bias towards you know, here's, here's the prescriptive plan to get to that. Um, but we still use, use that really as a, as a measure. It's a great marker. People think about velocity as like being faster when really it's just a marker of accumulated stress. It, you know, it's interesting. Like it's going to make for a great documentary when you take into effect, cause there is more to it than just the load. You, you might be like, well, if I do this for a triple and I'm this many weeks out, this triple should equal that triple, etc. When you when it's like, look at the variables. What did you eat? What did you sleep? How fast is that bar moving? Well, if that bar historic, and this is different for every athlete. Historically speaking, your bar velocity is here, and you were moving slower today. We're lowering the load here. I don't care. Well, yeah. I, I feel good. I slept well. I ate well. Doesn't matter. The nervous Doesn't system's matter. telling you, yeah, like I get you, but it's it's just not happening. And it's, we're at that level now with science. That's what makes this interesting, where willpower and science are together. Now, day of, it, it, I, there's a quote, I think, that says, in competition, you tell your body to shut up and you do what you got to do. In training, you listen to your body. Yes. Right? And that's the difference. Yes. Where some people get it twisted and they think every day is that Rocky moment. You know, the Rocky movies oh. where you're, you're yep. fighting Drago. It's like, my friend, you can't do that every day in training no. and think competition day. No, no, no. Save that for that one day when you got no choice. Every other day you play, you know, to your body and you got it. You got to listen. Well, that's one of the biggest challenges right now is really it's making sure that I don't get injured while yeah. training with these, because I have to continue training with these loads, right? 
But that's the biggest risk factor right now is not that I won't be strong enough, but keeping put together, right? Yeah. Because I, I'm getting up there. I'm getting close. It's not that far off. Right no. Now. Yeah. But the other thing you mentioned some things too, like it's, uh, it, there's a lot of people, they see my videos and they're like, you know, I hit 950 for a double, a couple doubles like a month ago. It was like when I first got there, they're like, you had more in the tank. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know. Next yeah. week I do 960. You have more in the tank than I do 970. You have more in the tank. I do 980. They're like, looks like you could have done one more. Yeah, but I, if I do that, then what do I advance to next? Yes. Yes. It, it leaves nothing left to to add some additional stimulus, some additional stress. I've taken every opportunity now, and it's gone. So a lot of people want to jump to, like it just take this back to any training plan and they're like, oh, here's this neat uh, you know, method I can put in place and another one and they just throw it all in there and it's like, okay, you are making progress on three days a week. Just keep training it three days a week because now to make additional progress, all you gotta do in a few months or six months down the road when it starts slowing is add a fourth day, like that's it. Right, but you added a fourth day and added high intensity intervals and drop sets. And like, right, you you threw it all in, so you got nowhere else to go. No room to grow. You want to you want to be able to make the progress on minimal effective dose, so that now you have the least amount of stuff. Like same thing, everybody wants to go into cutting like full force. Well, now you stalled out. What do you do? You're already at fifteen hundred calories a day and no carbs and like. Yeah. You got you got nowhere else to turn. You can't. <laughs> you like there's nothing like... else you could. Oh, you, oh, 45 minutes of cardio that you're already doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you're right. You got nothing else to do. Yeah. Like leave some room to reach. To break it down in the simplest of forms, it's basically your nervous system, you tax it a little bit, your nervous system adjusts, gets a little stronger, you tax it a little bit the next day, your nervous system adjusts get stronger and you're growing piece by piece and stepping up to the final. But when you so, try to and, jump- what's the minimal thing that you can do to get that step? Yeah. Not it, everything I could do to get that step because right. now there's no other step. That's right. Like, you lost all your steps. You're jumping steps and you're like, okay, yeah. I ran out, man. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at my peak performance. It's not, what, what, what else can we do? Well, we, we can't really do anything now. <laughs> have you, have you, um, hammer down what your because every athlete might be a little different but what your little mess cycles are for your body in terms of okay i can anticipate this kind of growth i start plateauing i need a deload and we take it back and then so this is, looks like six weeks this looks like eight weeks or does it change for you and it's kind of it changes there's so many I, I that's the one thing i hate about like plan deload oh you need a deload every five weeks well Maybe. One, I never really truly deload, or very rarely in my life have I ever deload. It's more of a transitional from week from one training block to a next, and it's a little bit lighter as you move in. Mm. But there's so many, like, everything is, training is stress, and there's so many other stresses in life between family, work, just life in general, relationships, like all this stuff, right? And it's all pulling from the same bucket. And that's why it's hard to, to anticipate this and why there's no, you could get burnout in no time at all based on all those other stuff and minimal training yeah. or 
you know, you could be taking the easy road and everything is cruising and, and you could push a lot longer. Yeah. So there's a variability. That's why like looking at how you're actually responding at any one time should be a driver as well. Mm. Yeah. And, and are you recording all these logs? Like, is there blogs that people can go to or even after the fact, maybe to see how this all ended up happening? Because it's pretty interesting stuff. I, I used to. So most of my training from 2007 and on is all recorded. Uh, at least it used to be on a daily basis. Then I switched to weekly. Uh, got around 2013-ish or so. And so it's all been logged all the way up into the last couple of recent years. And I'm just too busy with the, everything that I do to stay on top of it. So, so no, the last couple of years are kind of missing. I'm hoping the documentary kind of covers some of that. Yeah. I'm pushing, I'm pushing my coach to um, put together more of a, uh, an article on this process and really diving into the science behind the you know methodology that we use, what, what outcomes we saw, and really putting together a really nice piece uh, based on that. So I hope that comes out. Uh, but for the most part, it's you got to follow me on Instagram. Uh, I'm posting my workouts every week. You'll see snippets. You'll see snippets of stuff I'm doing on recovery and all that, but actually putting it together into a comprehensive, like, here's what I did for the week and thoughts and views on it. Like, I, I just don't have the time to do that anymore. Yeah. But the documentary should be capturing a bit of that too. Um, it's going to be a little bit more mixture of influential people in the life, my backstory and all that as it goes into it. And I hope so. I don't, know, I don't have full control because it's another – you know, it's not, not my project. So you would hope because your backstory and everything leading up to it makes this like your backstory is phenomenal. Oh no, it's that's definitely there. That's definitely a book. They want to make good, they want to make good entertaining media. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that, 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 yeah, it's not just for the meatheads like me who want to know, like, tell me about the science behind your, you know, what do you do for auto regulation? Whereas like the vast majority of people are like, all right, I just want to, you know, give me a story with a yeah. rising arc. Um, and, and obviously the big climatic finish. Having said that, when you hit that big climatic finish, how are you going to feel knowing this is four years in the making and it all comes down when it happens and afterwards? Like, I mean, that's one of those, you, you hear about marathon runners who hit those marathon running blues and they're like, oh my God, I dedicated, this was such a big focus in my life. You know, it's it's kind of bittersweet. It's a, it's a remarkable moment, but then on the flip side, it's, is it on to the next one? Is it? That, that is a very good question. I know uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. So this is all planned. And it's kind of the next phase of my life. And there's a lot of other things. Anybody that follows me knows that I do a lot more than just lifting. And that's not, I'm not singularly identifying myself as, as this elite lifter. But we see this happen a lot with athletes that that are that like it, it becomes they're they're so successful that that becomes their identity. And when it's gone and pulled out from them, they really struggle with finding their identity, their purpose, what they're doing with life, where I'm purposely setting a lot of that stuff aside right now. And it's going to be shifting those back. So I'm going to have still my crazy goals and other stuff, but it's going to be in the other things in my life. I'll still be training. But my training is shifting, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 43, I've got three young kids, young wife, like I need to be around and like I'm shifting to health 
and longevity with my training. So this is, and, I, and I'm excited to do so because also my training consumes so much of my capacity right now. Mm. Yeah. And so there's a whole lot of other things that I'm engaged in that I want to be working on. So uh, I've got this awesome, amazing, one-of-a-kind vehicle that I've been building for over 10 years. It's, there's no way to describe it, but uh, it's, it's a, a highly engineered uh, monster. And so I plan on finishing that this year, starting to start to take that out and doing some stuff with it. I'm working on my pilot's license with my wife. She's got some huge projects on the on the plate that uh, I plan on helping support and kind of drive forward. The uh, pilot's license is a little bit tied to that. Um, I've got four different businesses and, so you got and, a, yeah. and a movie in process. And so being able to contribute more to those yeah. And being less on a an egotistical, self-centered type project uh, is is definitely beneficial with that. So, so I have no worries about having my plate full. I'm still going to be training, but I'm I'm definitely done with doing the things that need to be done to to be chasing things in the strength training realm that have never been done before. Yeah, yeah. I'm past that, and that's the beautiful thing about wrapping it up with a thousand pound squat for reps that, you know, followed a thousand pound deadlift for reps. Like after you've done that, what else do you really need to do? Like that's, that's pretty over the, like that's pretty over the top. It's literally never been done before. Um, either of them singularly, what I'm going to accomplish, let alone both of them together. Yeah. So I think that's a good, uh, a good place to walk away and feel like, yeah, Okay, I did my thing. <laughs> my man, that is when the credits roll down in the movie. You've said everything that needs to be said. You know what I mean? Like that, one hundred percent. It's time to diversify. You've it, the big thing is you've diversified yourself enough that it's like you don't build a house off one foundation, off one you know one pillar. You got several pillars on the go. Um, yeah. I think that's a great great way. Yeah, to, sorry, is, so if we get back to values, lifting is one ex, one way that I express in my life those values and I have other ways of expressing it. So because I know those sorts of things, it makes this a very realistic transition to go, hey, I'm not doing this at that level anymore. And I'm excited about that because it means I have the way to express it in these other areas. Yeah. So yeah. you gotta be more than just lifting. You gotta be more than just one in particular thing. Now all of us Absolutely. don't attach yeah. yourself to one thing, basically. I really try to I, I try to lead that by example across my like social channels as well so that people see that because I've I've seen a lot of people they they get lost in this identity of like I'm a power lifter, I'm a strong man, I'm a whatever it is. And that can be taken from you at any time. Mm -hmm. Like any time. And you don't have control over it. Mm -hmm. You can slip and fall on the sidewalk and it's over. Like hit by a car or an accident while trained, like you don't have control over this stuff. And so that's a very risky place to be. And you're not a very balanced individual if that is truly the, the only thing that's holding, you know, the cornerstone of your life. It's, you need it's part of the human ego that we want to identify. We want to label ourselves and identify ourselves as something. What am I? And we're researching and being like, well, I, I'm a power lifter. You're more than just that. That's a fraction. Yeah. You're more than just that. Don't pigeonhole yourself to that, essentially. But I, I've, I've had some close friends that were at the top of the game 
and uh, one in particular was nearly killed himself. Had a had a gun loaded in his mouth oh, because, wow. he, yeah. And uh, this is you know he's now found like he stepped away. He's thinking about getting him back into competing now. But he was so he just kept diving down this path of like trying to be the best in the world, and it was it became he dropped all the other things in his life that he loved hmm. in the process because hey I'm too big now I can't do my mountain biking, uh, photography I can't you know just like everything just like all those other pieces of his life and his happiness and he didn't know why but he just got really depressed over a number of years. Uh, because he was like everything, just the position he got into. And finally he quit lifting and then slowly started getting in these other things. And he's like, Oh my God, like, that's what it was like. I quit doing all the other things I love. Like it, yeah. this was the only thing in my life yeah. and he couldn't, ha- you know, couldn't handle it. Yeah. There's obviously some underlying issues there as well. If you're getting to a suicidal point, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. But the point is, I, I got you. And I've seen that before, not necessarily yeah. to that level, yeah. but like, yeah, you you need a little more in life than just lifting weights. Well, listen, in terms of your life lifting weights, I, I'm interested to see how this, this story concludes. Um, I hope everybody else tunes in. So if they want to follow you, what is the, the YouTube and the Instagram to follow your journey and, and, and the big climatic end in March? Yeah. So honestly, if you just type Chris Duffin into any of the social stuff, you'll probably find me. Um, I mostly interact on uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. So uh, Instagram is the best place to follow my lifting videos. Uh, the bigger ones, I think my media team is putting onto the YouTube channel. Uh, the YouTube channel has a ton of free educational content, as well as we have another Instagram channel for that. So I'm going to give all that out. Uh, my personal channel is mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin. Can you type in Chris Duffin? You're going to find it. Uh, the, the educational one, I highly recommend you go follow. Is Kabuki. K-A-B-U-K-I underscore virtual coaching. We post educational content nearly daily. This is a a lot of the philosophy stuff that I was talking about around movement and loading principles. It's an incredible resource. Um, You can find shortcut to all of our educational resources. Just type uh, www.kabuki.education. It'll come up with all all the resources there. Um, My personal website, is ChristopherDuffin.com. You'll find a link to the book, link to Kabuki Strength, link to Barefoot Athletics, which is uh, our shoe and sock, basically ground-based uh, company, and Build Fast Formula, uh, where we do performance-based supplements. We got some really exciting stuff uh, dropping, but the products that we have are phenomenal for recovery. It's been a game changer for me. And <clears throat> The main company is Kabuki Strength that I'm involved with. So kabukistrength.com, you'll find massive amount of resources. So just check it out. It's it's really cool. Uh, YouTube, I imagine if you just type in Chris Duffin, you'll find it, but I think it's Kabuki07. So Kabuki is in Kabuki Strength. 07 is the year I started the channel, started producing content. So uh, stuff's indexed into different channels on there, so it makes it really great to be able to find stuff. Beautiful. Listen, is there anybody you want to thank while we have you on, sir? <laughs> uh, big thanks right now goes out to just my team, like all the work and support. Uh, there's no way I'd be able to pull off the stuff that I've been able to pull off without them. Even taking it took me about a year to put the book together. 
you know, they had to step in and uh, be able to, to, to run the show and do everything on a, on a daily operational basis. So, I mean, everything goes out. The Kabuki strength team is just a phenomenal group of individuals and uh, uh, everything goes out to them right now. Now so. I always, I always ask everybody on the podcast, this one last question before we let you go. And thank you for your time, by the way. One last question, my friend, when all is said and done and for yourself, for your lifting career, that's right around the corner. When you look back and everyone else looks back, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered of this guy that provided inspiration and motivation that led to personal change in people's lives. The guy that inspired people to live better through strength. There you go. No, that beautifully said, my friend. Nicely summarized. Thank you for your time, Chris. Uh, phenomenal story. Your book's phenomenal. Anybody out there who wants a good inspiration, you don't even got to be into strength sports. Um, it's an amazing book. I think there's literally only three pages on like lifting in the book. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's good. Uh, so thank you for coming on, my friend. We'll keep in touch and good luck with training, man. I'm, sh- I'm going to be following. Thank you. It's been a fun podcast. Sounds good, buddy. Have a good one. Woo, let's hope he hits it. A uh, thousand pounds for possibly triple, possibly more, and um, even more than that, though. Honestly, in terms of like, you know, every his whole background story. If you know where he started and where he's ended up through through sports, determination, training, and everything he's done to get to where he's got to get. I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, for real. If you get his book, get his book. You read his bio. It's a hell of a story, um, all of his ideals from A to B. And following him, man, it is interesting because he takes into all these other variables and talks about, you know, how much sleep, nutrition, you know, the science of every single lift, the science of programming and, and trying to land this plane all in one piece come that day in March to hit, you know, a thousand pounds for conceivably a trip. I, I, it's going to be an interesting if his documentary covers his whole background story and everything this thing should end up on Netflix but uh, like I always say if you're watching this on YouTube give us a like give us a subscribe leave us a comment we will comment back you got questions you want us to ask Chris fire them away we will send them to Chris if you're listening on the audio formats please subscribe give us high ratings tell your friends throw pictures up into your I, IG stories Tag us, we'll repost, let people know. It helps out, you know, us to continue to make this content. And guys like Chris who are who are shooting, you know, shooting for stars with these big goals. And people deserve to hear these stories. But also we just keep the ball rolling. And it's not it's not easy day in day out. So support and give back if you're consuming this content. With no further ado, six pack lap it at until next time.